Welcome to the FinOps Fridays podcast, where we discuss all things FinOps. It's an educational resource to help you learn and build your capability in all things FinOps. We're also here to have fun, so we'll make it entertaining, have a few laughs, and share a few stories. All right, and welcome to the next episode of FinOps Friday. Today's show is really all about understanding and working with the more traditional side of finance. We're putting the fin in FinOps today. Uh, the cloud has come along with all of its fantastic offerings. Uh, when you need to do cloud, you need to also make sure that you're working with your traditional finance, making sure that the bill still needs to get paid. Somewhere is, someone is going to ask some questions of you. You need to be able to answer the questions that they have. And that's why we've got Todd Tucker here today from the TBM Council. Todd, across to you, quick introduction, where you're from. Uh, and yeah, we'll talk about TBM in a minute. All right. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, I'm uh, currently living in Kansas City and uh, grew up kind of in the area, but uh, kind of been been around the block a few times. And, you know, my background is I started as a financial auditor with Ernst & Young and, uh you know, grew up kind of in the, the accounting world there, but quickly got into um, IT auditing, uh, looking at, you know, the more technical aspects of uh, clients' environments, the control situations, things like this. Of course, all this was long before uh, public cloud was even probably thought of, um, although I think at the time we were talking grid computing and things like that. Um, but I had the fortune of moving into that practice for EY, which really kind of set me on a certain trajectory uh, with my career. Did a lot of work with security, a lot of infosec, cybersecurity work before it was called cybersecurity, um, and just really enjoyed it. But I moved into the software world about, oh, 20 years ago and uh, worked for a company that did uh, security software and then systems management type software. Um, joined Aptio in 2010, so I've been with Aptio for just now over 11 years, um, and just you know have loved this job. Had the chance to um, you know help help uh, start the TBM Council and have served as its uh, head of research and standards for for years now. Um, launched a education program, certification similar to what you know FinOps has with the FinOps certification. Um, of course, ours is, uh, you know, for, t for TBM. Um, and then uh, had the chance to write a book, which uh, was, you know, a real passion of mine was, uh, was writing that, researching for it, all of that. So it's been a wild ride. I enjoy it a whole lot. Awesome. Excellent. Now, technology business management, TBM, uh, in a lot of ways, it sort of looks as though it's the predecessor to FinOps. You know, we've got the, the cloud, the issues with the cloud that it brings to finance. And it's like, well, this is what IT was bringing to finance before cloud came along. Is that a fair sort of assessment and a very rough view? Like, help us understand exactly what is TBM uh, what's its main components and what does it actually give to the business and why is it useful? Yeah, yeah. You know, TBM, it was born out of IT financial management, you know, which has really been something in place for decades. You know, it's, uh, it, you know, it has a long history. It's, it's something, though, that for the longest time was really the concern of just finance people. It was largely kind of controllership and accounting and you know, cost containment, things like that. But what changed about 12, 13 years ago is it became a CIO concern. And CIOs didn't think of it as 
IT financial management. They thought, saw it as business management for them. So what they wanted was something that would help them um, understand the cost of what they were delivering in terms that their business partners could understand. So rather than speaking in like, hey, here's what we're spending on servers and storage, or here's what we're spending on just application development or things like that, they could say, here's what we're spending on this particular solution for you, whether it's an application, whether it's a service, a lot of service oriented, or it's a product. You know, you hear that a lot more these days. Now with TBM, they can look across their entire state of, uh, you know, people, of uh, services, including cloud services, across, um, you know, their, their vendor uh, uh, portfolios, um, anything on-prem, all that, and they can understand what it is they're spending uh, to create certain outcomes. Um, and that allows them just to have a much better conversation, both internally and then with their uh, business partners and make a lot of the hard uh, kind of decisions around trade-offs and things like that. So yeah, I think it has a lot in common with FinOps. I think FinOps, what it brought to the table was one, domain specificity. It was like diving deep into you know public cloud services, especially infrastructure and platforms. But as a result, I think you've been able to leverage you know with FinOps a lot of the automation, a lot of the policies, things like that, that you know sometimes exist in the broader context of what uh, CIOs are doing, and I think will start happening a lot more, but you know not quite as uh, as directly applicable as uh, as what you've seen there with with TBM. So TBM has always kind of been in some ways the analog equivalent of of FinOps. When you see something that you have to do with TBM. It usually means, you know, you got to get people in a room, they got to make a decision, they got to, you know, figure out how they're going to execute on that and, and so forth. Um, some of it, you know, they might be able to automate, but a lot of it is really things like portfolio management, optimization decisions, things like that. So, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of things are in common. I just, what I love about FinOps is that opportunity you have um, because code is creating cost, you can also use code to optimize, you know, cost and consumption and things like that. Yeah. And, and what you're saying there, you know, it became a CIO concern. Um, do you know what was the sort of the, the trigger behind that? Like, why did it become a CIO concern? Um, and once they did become concerned and start to use and start to use TBM, what were the real benefits to the business? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Nathan, one of the things that that sort of drove the concern is an increased usage of shared stuff. And what I mean by that is like, you know, think back 10, 15 years ago, you had the rise of even 20 years ago, but the rise of virtualization, it wasn't a new technology, you know, that goes back to the mainframe days, but just the rise of that, the rise of different, you know, methodologies and so forth meant that they could no longer say, hey, I've got this dedicated set of stuff, of people, of infrastructure, of you name it. <clears throat> and so you could no longer really understand the cost of, of things. And so some of it was that, you know, there was kind of this change that was going on. Another change was the financial crisis, like no doubt 
after 2008, 2009, um, especially in the banking world, a lot were, you know, uh, struggling with um, capacity that uh, wasn't properly managed. Um, they had, you know, kind of demand related issues. They had all these things they needed to deal with and they needed better transparency to, to do that. So I still remember Bank of America, they had, you know, kind of two programs that they put in place after the crisis. One was tackling the demand side of the, you know, their technology estate. One was really the supply side. So on the supply side, you're doing things like squeezing vendors, finding ways to optimize the unit cost of delivery and things like that. On the demand side, they were just trying to articulate things in a way where they could get together with the business and start cutting stuff out. Um, and so they, they really did that. That's a lot of what we do with TBM is we try to marry supply and demand and be able to address both sides of, of that equation. So that's a big thing, but it's not, it's certainly not all about, you know, cutting costs. I think a lot of people think of, of that when they think of TBM and that's certainly one of the outcomes you see, but it, you know, is, is more, especially, you know, more recently it's supporting the shift to like product models, it's supporting the adoption of, you know, agile at scale models, lean portfolio management, uh, it supports modernization decisions, you know, it's, it's being used for a lot of things that are really about the next generation of where we're going, right? Um, so while it may have been born out of kind of a cost uh, frustration, it is now in, at least in organizations that do this well, they're using the data and the facts from it to drive a, a lot of really amazing things. We see it a lot with M&A, a lot with divestitures, where um, you know, you've got this big change going on to your state and you need to understand you know, how to kind of divvy things up. Who's gonna use what? How are we gonna hold them accountable if we split off a business unit how, and we still have to serve them right, with things that we own how are we going to hold them accountable and charge them for the cost properly and, and stuff like that? So a um, lot, of, lot of uses, which is really cool. It also sometimes makes the, um, you know, the killer app for it a little difficult to find. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, things like, you know, breakaways and selling off business units. I think, you know, in, in the FinOps world, we're really just focused on, you know, how do we pay this month's bill? But that sort of strategic vision and understanding, hey, the long-term and the business impacts of doing this is just something that we sort of don't get exposed and it's not part of our sort of daily job type of thing. So it's really insightful to get that. Um, somewhat concerning that we've still got the shared cost problem a decade later, we still haven't solved it. But I think it's also a case that, hey, the problem now is much, much larger in terms of its scale and size and what we could possibly do with it as well. So I think it's the never-ending goalposts that we have to keep aiming for as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to talk about some of the pain points that cloud delivers uh, to finance. Now, obviously, cloud usage is very, very different to traditional IT spend and a lot of other spends in the business. And we're talking about the volume, the variability, the voraciousness of it all. What makes cloud painful for finance? Tell me, as a finance person, what are you pulling your hair out about day in, day out, every time the cloud team comes along or you see something coming through from the cloud bill? You know, um, finance people like predictability at the end of the day. Um, your CFO, for example, they you know, have to report oftentimes to you know, investors, to Wall Street or whatever, 
you know, anticipated earnings per share and things like that. And, uh, you know, with tech intensive companies, especially in like banking and, and finance, um, you know, tech can swing the, the EPS by a penny. And sorry, EPS, uh, earn, sorry, earnings per share. So, you know, they're they're giving that kind of guidance to investors. And so investors need to see that they hit that. So, you know, CFOs and their their teams, they want they want as much predictability as as possible. Now, they also know that they need to support the business in being agile, being able to scale quickly, being able to, you know, uh, you know, secure their environments and all that. Like they fully understand that it's not that they're they're resistant, but they're kind of you know challenged with okay, if we move you know infrastructure that maybe we've in the past we've owned all of it, it's a fixed asset. We're really good with capital planning, like looking out three to five years and planning out our data centers and stuff like that, or at least good enough. And now it's like, well, let's move to this model where we basically, you know, open up accounts with Amazon or Microsoft or whatever, and we don't know what tomorrow's bill is going to be. That's that's frightening. You know, that you think about this to do that, you know, buy in the old world, you would um, open a purchase request. Somebody would review it and approve it and it, it would go into the system and that would generate the, you know, the order that was sent to the vendor and all that. Well, with cloud, you don't have any of that. And so it takes the control that's necessary out of that established process and it puts it into, uh, you know, really engineering. And so that's, I think, the, the, the fear um, or the concern. Um, and, you know, again, I think most are aware that they need to adapt to it. And I think that's the beauty of FinOps is FinOps has provided, you know, not a high level, hey, this is kind of how you do it. It's been very specific about uh, about how you address it. So that's, you know, certainly the good news. And then Nathan, another, you know, challenge for some companies more than others is, you know, some companies like having assets. They like having capital. Um, they're capital intensive, they're measured on capital. You've got ratios in banking and financial services that, you know, from a financial statement perspective, looks at like, what are your assets? And it's not all just financial assets. Some of it considers fixed assets. And so when you move to a subscription model, you lose all that. Like you don't own the Amazon servers, you're, you're renting them. Um, and so that can be a, a little bit of a concern. But I think Savvy CIOs, not only CIOs, but CFOs, they've recognized, you know, this future that we've entered into and they know that, you know, this is the right model. And so I think the, you know, they're supportive of it. And I think knowing that there's FinOps and the tools that are available for FinOps out there really helps assuage those concerns. And I mean, you mentioned things like assets, you know, owning a server. Should that really be these days considered a liability? Because, you know, it's basically tech debt. Uh, do we sort of just need to shift the focus on things like that a little bit more to sort of assist that conversation and perception? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, what what a lot of business leaders want now, you know, finance people, again, like the predictability. And of course, they, they want to see, uh, you know, the, the attainment of, of financial goals around profitability and things like that and growth, of course. But on the other hand, you have like line of business leaders and a lot of them really want to tie their um, consumption, their volumes to their costs or tie the cost to the volumes, right? So they say, look, in a good year, 
um, where revenues are up, we're okay paying more for infrastructure. When revenues are down, we'd rather not pay that much for infrastructure. So cloud helps with that, right? In a way that owning your assets doesn't allow. So aside from like what you described about a liability from kind of a tech debt and risk and things like that, um, it also is a drag on um, the, 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 the earnings primarily when volumes go down, right? When volumes go down, if you own your assets, that's where um, you're gonna pay the same rate that you did last year when maybe your volumes were up. So there's some advantages like that. And again, I think, you know, again, savvy CFOs know that. So I think, you know, if you have a CFO that is in the way of, of public cloud, you know, there's probably just a, an education gap, I suspect. But there may be some real concerns around capital, you know, thresholds and stuff like that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. All right, we're gonna take a quick little break and we're gonna go for our speed round questions. Uh, this is where we get to know our guest a little bit deeper, what makes them up, uh, and add a little bit of entertainment into the picture. Are you ready, Todd? I'm ready. Alrighty, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Absolutely, love it. boy. boy. A cat person or a dog person? Dogs, I don't understand the purpose of cats. <laughs> You're doing well, red or white wine? Red. Excellent, beer or spirits? Uh, can I have both? <laughs> Why not? Why not? There we go. They sometimes um, go together. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, do you ask permission or beg for forgiveness? Uh, it, it, it depends on the severity of the consequence. Um, but uh, so it, it can be either. But we'll, we'll say I uh, beg for forgiveness. Excellent. Your favorite movie, director, producer? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with, with director um, Christopher Nolan, without a doubt. Uh, love J.J. Abrams too, but Nolan's got to be at the top of my list. So yeah. it, then it's like any movie by him. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Black. Favorite TV series? You know, I should have had one prepared for that. Probably, um, I'll give something that's more current is The Boys on Amazon. Ah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's just fantastic. Also a good poke in fun at the whole Marvel and DC universe that this popped up. I, I like the, the view on that they've got. Yep. Uh, favorite song, musician, genre, era? Yeah, I mean, uh, musician uh, group is Pink Floyd. I'm a diehard Pink Floyd fan. Your favorite food? You know, I'll go with a kind of a class sushi. I love sushi. Ah, awesome. Uh, holiday, do you prefer active activities uh, or relax and do nothing? Uh, I like to, to work on stuff at home, like a staycation where I'm doing home improvement, stuff like that. Yeah, so not, not much relaxation. Uh, buildings and architecture or nature? What's your preference? Uh, nature, yeah, for, for at least for like like relaxing. Yeah, it'd have to be like nature. Uh, your preferred superpower or supernatural ability? Yeah, it's not very creative, but flying. Uh, I, you know, being able to just fly. I'd have to be able to stay warm at the same time. I, thought, <laughs> I don't want to fly and then be freezing. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, your favorite vacation location? Yeah, it's funny. Same same kind of answer as before. Is uh, yeah, a lot of it is just home. You know, being home, yep, yep. being being with family and chilling out. So, yeah. Well, it's good that that's a vacation for you and not a stress, which is yeah, great. yeah. 
your childhood nickname? You know, um, my middle name is Earl, and I had a, um, a cousin, have a cousin, who would always call me Turtle because of Todd Earl. He'd say Turtle. Ah, yeah, nice, nice. Uh, your proudest moment? Um, you know, so I've got four kids and married, and so I could include all of that. Um, and, and I would, but I'll include something professional. Um, I uh, passed the CPA exam, uh, which in the U.S. is known for its difficulty. It's four parts, and I passed all four parts at once. And I remember um, I was working for Ernst & Young, and I went into uh, the office where it was during the winter, we were doing an audit, but uh, went into the office and uh, shared the news with some of my colleagues, found out I was the only one who passed all four parts. And uh, so yeah, I was, I, was, I was pretty proud of that. Now I will say then there's a take-home ethics exam that I, I failed. <laughs> yeah, I, I passed it later, but I, I failed the ethics exam. It's basically one that asks you all these questions about independence. You know, if your brother works for this company, can you audit a subsidiary? It's stuff like that. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll get this. I don't need to work at it. And, uh, and I had to take it twice. <laughs> nice. Good that you got there. All right. So looking at the score, look, you're strong out of your gate and you've ended up with a 99.5. So half a point wiggle room for our next guest to work hard at the answers. So uh, nicely done on that. All right. So back into it. Um, finance and the fundamentals. We, we spoke before about all these things, you know, the stability, the predictability to report quarterly. Um, you know, we know that we need to build out things like budgets and allocate costs, but you know, for me as a cloud person, why should I really care about that? You know, everything goes into one big bucket and then comes back out. It's all just virtual shifting and moving things around. You know, it's not really doing something from my perspective. Um, what, what is finance really looking to achieve? You know, the earnings per shares and the budgets and all these allocations what is finance trying to achieve? And, you know, me as a, a FinOps person that may not necessarily care too much about the finance side of things, you know, sell it for me. What, what are we trying to do and what's in it for me? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so yeah, on top of the kind of predictability and their reasons for doing it, I think what you have to think of it as anybody who's, you know, managing, you know, a team, managing resources, managing, you know, um, spend with any vendors, etc. Look at it as um, this is the way I get funding for all that. You know, a budget is funding. A budget is, um, you know, where you're requesting money, you have to justify it to the powers that be. Um, but hopefully after that, you get you know, so much money to spend and you can be held accountable within those guardrails. I think where companies need to adapt is um, redefining those guardrails so they're a little bit looser. And, and what I mean by that is not that the, the amount of money necessarily is looser, but the way in which it, they drive behavior. Because you might say, hey, we were planning on, you know, sort of uh, driving maybe our, our, our infrastructure spend this way, but you know, there's this new product from our vendor and it's better and we need to be able to adapt that way, but it's going to have this change. Well, you need to be able to do that and, uh, not necessarily have to, you know, wait for the next planning cycle or what have you, you need to be able to do that very dynamically. So I think teams need the ability to have that 
you know, flexibility in making decisions, be good stewards of the money, stay within the guardrails, not upset the, you know, the corporate financials and things like that. Um, but, you know, get the things done that they have to get done. Yeah, so it really is just proactively proving that you're doing the right thing versus having to jump through hoops. Um, and one thing that I normally struggle with as well, you know, FinOps, we, we do some of our magic work that finance loves about us. You know, we go and find $100,000 a month savings of overspend and we cut it. You know, I was the one that found that. I found you, the business, you know, $100,000 a year. That's a, over a hundred grand, sorry, $100,000 a month, a hundred grand, a year, over a hundred grand a year. Yet I get nothing for that. Like personally, I don't, I don't get a pay rise or a bump or anything. And you're not giving me any extra people to solve this challenge. So I think that's where friction starts to, to sort of appear that I'm doing this great work and saving lots of money, but nothing's coming back. How do you sort of get a, a better perception on that sort of specific problem that, you know, high five, you've done great work, you've saved money. How should we be looking at that? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's all about incentives and it doesn't always take like a hey a bonus for somebody who who, you know, saves money. But I do think, um, you, you know, a, a CFO working with a CIO and kind of how they structure things, what they really need to do is by giving a certain amount of latitude, really encourage teams to save to spend. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like we see a lot of organizations they move to a product model or you know maybe it's they call it a service model it's a little bit you know uh, semantics but you you have you know somebody who's like a product owner or product manager and give that person some latitude that if they see hey i could save money here in order to accelerate an outcome here and do it all within my you know sort of budget within those guardrails within whatever funding has been uh, given to me, that's a good thing. That will encourage them to drive some really good outcomes. And so we've seen in that model where some of your biggest, you know, the application rationalization, like a lot of your biggest application rationalization outcomes come at that level, not from some high level, you know, app rat program, but actually giving the teams that, you know, they're, they're near the coalface, as we like to say, like them, the decision-making authority. So they can look at their underlying technologies and they can be like, you know what, we don't need these two because they do the same thing as this. And we can just consolidate, rationalize onto that. We'll save a bunch of money and we'll have a better outcome at the, at the end. So I think it's all about, you know, empowering teams to make decisions like that and benefit from, you know, directly from some of those decisions. Um, you'll drive greater, uh, you know, uh, behavior that way. Um, the, the problem with, you know, go find us money is, you know, many companies are disincentivized for that. Like a lot of people, even if it's just pride, it's, it's like, hey, I've got a, you know, $10 million budget. I don't want a, a $9 million budget because if I save money this year, they're going to take it away from me for, for next year. So you can create that kind of perverse incentive with just that kind of model. So it's, it's complicated, like no doubt. It's not a simple thing to solve, but I do think, um, you know, both finance and, and tech leaders need to think about that. What are we going to do to incentivize teams to continuously optimize? It shouldn't be a one and done. It's got to be a continuous thing where they're always looking at the value that they're getting. How can we, um, you know, sort of keep the house clean? 
Yeah, yeah. And I like your, your comments on that in terms of, you know, removing duplication, you know, removing spend. Like as, as an ops person or an engineer, I'm no longer looking after two different systems doing the same thing and I can free up some time to work on some cool stuff. So I think that's a great a great outcome I wouldn't have really thought of that you can drive consolidation and efficiencies in products, which will then actually fall down to an operational thing and remove unnecessary work as well. Yeah, and, and you know, Nathan, I do think the Amazon way, I'll use that example. I used to use the, the Walmart uh, example. Walmart has this, uh, you know, kind of uh, mantra of everyday low prices, that prices are always falling, right? Well, I think Amazon with um, like AWS has really uh, instituted that in our world of tech. They are constantly driving efficiencies in the delivery of those services, and you'll see the price performance continuously get better. And I think that's something we as technologists need to constantly seek. But I think we need to look at it more than just, are we saving like the cost of what we deliver or are we instead optimizing the business itself? That's the way we all need to think. Are we optimizing the business? Because sometimes by spending more on tech, you can optimize the business process, right? It makes sense. Like if you have a you know, customer support process that today requires somebody to pick up the phone and do all this stuff, and tomorrow you can have it, you know, like it's a predictive kind of model. It automatically resolves the customer's issue before they even know they have it, never touches a human being, creates a log entry, and, and that's about it. That's a better experience for the customer and it's a lot cheaper for the company, right? So why wouldn't you invest even if it's going to cost you, you know, a bunch of money up front in in technology? I, I think that's the way we constantly have to think as a, a business is how are we constantly, you know, optimizing for that kind of outcome. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, all right, so we'll normally cut here and go to a quick mailbag from the previous episode. This is where we get uh, feedback from our viewers and answer questions from the previous episode. So we'll cut to mailbag now. All right, and welcome to the mailbag for the previous episode. This was the episode that we had with Sarah and was all about getting set up technically for your organization. So let's jump into the mailbag questions. So first question, what about other factors outside of utilization that can affect cloud costs? Uh, things like memory, storage, network traffic, web services, software licenses, etc. cetera. Uh, for those, I think, make sure you understand the current size and scope of the current issue and also the future projected issue. Is this something actually worth worrying about it? So I'd spend a little bit of time to understand the current position, really understand how much value are you missing out from these particular items? Is it a big enough problem to act on now or will it be a big enough problem in the future that you need to plan for? Uh, so on the basis that you do need to act and look at these other factors, I would take a similar approach to things like unit metrics. Start small and build capability over time. Take one particular, particular factor implement a rough version of that and then refine it over time and then add other factors to that. Again, you're probably gonna to start to see the law of diminishing returns. The first time you implement, you'll get a lot of value and then that's gonna drop off as you increase the amount of effort in that. Second question, uh, what are the tools out there to help you with synthetic tagging? Um, I would probably, again, same as the previous question, let's just, just put a pause. Is it worth doing tagging? Do you need tagging? Or is it that you need the same insights that tagging would actually provide? 
Uh, think about the how you currently get the insights you do from tagging uh, and think about the insights that you need from things that aren't being tagged. What are the tools you currently have and whether or not you could actually use them to provide those insights without synthetic tagging. Uh, so maybe something like two graphs side by side with a slightly different information source may give you enough insight to be able to act and not have to go down the rabbit hole of building out a lot of tagging. Uh, if you do need tagging and it has to definitely be done, uh, speak with your vendors. See you know, when your features are gonna be landing uh, or how you can implement tagging with their particular services. If you're gonna go DIY or do it in-house, make sure you're weighing up the cost of developing and maintaining a tool long-term before you build it. Uh, things like FinOps Foundation, ping how other people have solved these problems. Look to things like open source. You know, Netflix has their Simeon Arnie set of tools, which are now deprecated. But that style, there's a lot of things out there that people are sharing on things like GitHub. So look to those solutions. They're going to be easier to build. You've got a, a larger team from multiple people trying to maintain that solution. It's going to be just as good. Uh, and it's going to be a solution that you're going to have help maintaining as well. Okay, on to the next and uh, final question. How strict should the controls be when we're talking about putting controls uh, on resource usage and when should they be that strict? Um, I say, you know, you really need to start with some form of control pretty early. You wanna make sure you're setting that line in, in the sand saying, you know, we do things properly here. It's not the wild west. There are controls in place. You can't just do what you want without repercussions. So make sure you start with something Again, make sure you start with something very, very broad. Uh, things like locking down regions or particular services, they're gonna be that sort of catch all safety net. But also make sure that you have efficient processes. Make sure you monitor and improve them. Controls should only be hit occasionally. If you're hitting controls too frequently and they're stopping a lot of work and they're creating friction, then maybe you've got the wrong control in place. So make sure you're aware of that and you're actually monitoring the controls that you have. Um, and as your capability increases, maybe you need to remove certain controls as well. Uh, so if the people are being good with their services, you can start to relax controls because they've proven themselves to be good users and they're not really providing a safety net they sort of assume to be. Um, are they too strict? Um, again, I'd say, you know, it's a good approach to say that, you know, the controls are either right or wrong. They're in line with your business requirements or they're not. Are they too strict sort of comes back to that sort of question around friction. Are they causing problems because they're wrong or they're actually right and people aren't getting enough feedback? So make sure you've got that efficient process. You've got a feedback loop around a limit or a control. So the person knows that they actually hit a limit or a control and they get you know, some feedback very quickly so that they can rectify their actions. So as soon as they hit the control, they know the control they hit. They also know what they need to do to work around that control, file for an exception, make sure that's really efficient. I think it's gonna be painful if it stops people from working for extended periods, but if they hit a particular control or a limit, they can easily and efficiently find out a solution and continue to work. It's not stopping them from working. So I think make sure you've got the right level of efficiency in your processes when you do have controls and that should alleviate uh, most of the concerns. Again, if you have any questions for the mailbag, feel free to reach out to us, feedback at finopsfridays.com. Thank you and back to the show. All right, so we're talking a little bit there um, around some of the fundamentals. 
Um, Todd, is there some basic fundamentals or some learnings that a FinOps person really needs to have about finance? You know, you mentioned all these acronyms, your EPS and whatever else. Um, is there some recommended learning that you know a FinOps person should do an accounting 101 or a business something 101? What would you say would be the sort of minimum set of understandings a non-finance person that's in FinOps needs to understand about finance and where would they get that sort of information and knowledge? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think at the very least, it, it's important that um, you understand, uh, for, first of all, how what you do impacts your corporate financials. You know, so like, hey, if we spend this money, where does it go? You know, um, and it's not complicated. That's something I think that is um, fairly easy to learn. So I think that's one thing. I think another thing is to understand the impact on TCO of things like, you know, applications or products or services. Like how does what we do impact the cost of the things that our business ultimately consumes, right, and, and uses? So that's another thing. That's one area where I think um, TBM and uh, some of the things we do through the uh, training through the TBM Council, you know, can really help. Um, and then, um, you know, I think just understanding um, the the budgetary process of any company, you know, because you're going to have to follow it. So it's like understanding kind of those almost, you know, procedural technical things of, of getting getting the budget done is going to be important. Now, where to go to learn some of those things? I mean, that that is a little bit the tough part. We have through the council a uh, course that's called Financial and Business Management for IT Professionals. We honestly, right now, we only offer it about two or three times a year. Um, what we want to do is turn it into just a virtual, uh, like on-demand course. That's a goal that we have for 2022. But uh, I actually developed it. It really was just something to teach um, IT professionals a little bit about that other side. And our 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 mantra with that is not to take tech people and turn them into financiers, right? It's not to make financial people out of out of technologists, but it's to give them just a good kind of foundation that when they're speaking to a finance person, they can kind of speak in common terms. And and I think by the way, finance people need to do the same thing. So uh, it kind of kind of goes both ways. But that is something that could help. I wish I could say it's something that was um, either already available on demand or something that we offered regularly. But uh, if somebody is is truly interested and wants to reach out, I'd I'd be welcome to to you know to talk about it. Awesome. Um, and I'll paint you with the wide brush of being a finance guy. Um, you know, IT we we love to roll out new systems and applications, and we will provide training to the business. Is this is a simple answer to this just a case? Well, hang on a minute. Finance now just has to do some training for IT. Set up a couple of sessions with your finance team where they teach you about some finance 101 and they teach you, I guess, about the subtleties of the way that they do finance at that particular company. Is that a feasible sort of solution? Yeah, it, it is. And we, we see that, you know, fairly often where, where they do that. And so, you know, you can do it through brown bag lunches or whatever, right? There's a lot of ways to kind of do that sort of thing where it's not overly burdensome, you know, to, to folks. Um, and, you know, I think if you're in, you know, maybe the, the technologist shoes and you're listening to this and you're not seeing, seeing that, 
ask for it, you know, because your, your finance people just may not know. A lot of companies don't really have an IT finance function. So that's the other thing is um, you could be, you know, adopting public cloud services and moving a lot of workloads over, starting to spend a lot of money. And that may be very foreign to finance because they've never had like a real IT focused or technology focused person. So know that they may also just lack some of the kind of kind of skill sets. But if you don't raise your hand and ask and start looking for that, they'll they'll never know to maybe even provide it. Yep. Yep. Um, and just finally, in terms of you know, the relevance of some of the traditional finance, uh, you know, I love to gripe and I hate budgets, this sort of very strict um, governance structure that's been put on the cloud. Um, a great little article that, you know, the word budget came from when we sailed ships around the ocean and it was the, the, the French word for the little pouch of money they had to buy things. And I'm thinking like, we're literally buying cloud services with a construct that was built hundreds of years ago when we sailed ships around the world. Um, are these things just not relevant? Do we need to remove these types of things? Um, what would be your vision? What do you think is going to happen over the next sort of five to 10 years where we're going to end up with this thing called cloud? Obviously, there's still the traditional parts of business that exist it's not just cloud, but are we going to see a, a very fundamental change in what finance inside of companies actually looks like because of cloud? Yeah, I, I do think we will. And I think there's some things kind of driving it, which are, you know, increased, uh, you know, automation of underlying processes that drive spending, right? And you're obviously seeing it with FinOps and with cloud that code can drive, um, drive spending. But I also think the inverse of that is, just the data that we get from these processes, whether it's from, you know, uh, cloud, you know, billing data and, and usage data, whether it's from uh, DevOps and automation around releases and things of that nature, um, move to agile models where you've got, you know, the way people are working is actually like it's it's you you can see their work in uh, the systems used to manage it. So you know what people are, are working on and how they're uh, sort of sort of burning down, you know, feature requests and, and story points and stuff like that. And so there's a lot more data you can throw at it. So what, where I see this going, and we see some doing this already, is where you've got a more continuous forecasting model. So imagine instead of a quote annual budget, you've got a continuous forecasting that's based as much as possible on data. And occasionally when you need to make changes to that, because maybe you need more money allocated to something, um, that's when you raise your hand, you say, hey, we're showing if we make this change that it's gonna drive an you know, X percent uh, increase in cash that we need. Um, and so then you, you go and you make the case in, in those scenarios. It may not be during your annual planning uh, process. In fact, that process may go away. Um, we hear the term unbudgeting sometimes, which is you know this idea of like getting away from the annual budget, more to that rolling process and so forth. So yeah, I think data ultimately will kind of kind of set us free. Um, but it's it's you know it's not easy because uh, not just the complexity involved, but business is unpredictable, right? So you could say, hey, we got this model that forecasts out you know three years, but come on, how many of us hit a three year? type of, of forecast. It's good. It's directional. We know we're going in that direction, but you know, it's, it's going to change. So you have to have that sensing in place 
um, to, to go there. But I think it's, it, you know, that's definitely the, the way of the future. It's, you're, you're going to see more of that, more of data driving the process, as opposed to this sort of very manually intensive kind of uh, once a year exercise that for many takes months, right? It's not just a two week exercise. It goes three, four months just to plan and get to the budget for the next year. Yeah, and that's one of my points I always love to make in terms of, you know, we need to, to do all this forecasting. You know, how did your, all your forecasts in 2007 look the year before the financial crisis kicked off and the same thing in 2018? So I really question how actual, like how valuable are those things? Because clearly we, we can do without them. Right. Well, I mean, th think of this, Nathan, that um, when, when you build a plan, the good thing is is that when a change happens, you can react because you know, okay, here's where we were going, here's the things we were gonna do. We now know, well, those are the things we can change. Like it does help create that transparency you need to make uh, the decisions when something changes. And I think that's a, you know, that's a positive. But, you know, again, that doesn't always rely on planning. It, it also can be done just by the things you do to create transparency in your actual, you know, operations and spending, um, which both FinOps and TBM do. Yes, yeah, so really that more as an open framework, well, here, here's the projected path, but we can alter that and change course and correct as we go along. Yep, yep. And, and you know, the key is just making these processes like that not so, you know, onerous and labor intensive and all that, that you either you know, discourage that work from being done um, or uh, it becomes, you know, terribly error prone or frustrating for people because, you know, you want to retain good people and all that. You want to make this as easy and seamless as possible. Um, you know, and that's, you know, if you think about TBM and, and Aptio, um, Aptio has always kind of approached it from really two sides. One is the, um, you know, sort of looking back, like what have we spent? What have we consumed? What have the cost of things been? And then looking forward from a planning perspective. And a lot of that is, it's just easing the process, right? It's taking things that were very manual intensive and making them, um, you know, a lot easier on the people that have to do it, whether it's providing them the data so they can, you know, to come up with the, the right numbers and their plan and so forth or it's simply automating the gathering of, of their inputs, you know, from dozens or, you know, sometimes hundreds of different uh, kind of budget owners. So there's things you can do to ease that and, and it'll go a long way, um, but it's still probably a far cry from where maybe we'll see in five to 10 years where there's a lot more data driving that kind of continuous forecasting model. Awesome, excellent. Um, all right. So just a quick wrap up, Todd, is there anywhere you'd like to point uh, if we want to find out a little bit more about the TBM Council, get a little bit more information? You mentioned some learnings there. I think there was a book as well. Where can uh, where can our viewers go? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, join the council. You know, the council is uh, it's an organization that was founded by Aptio. It's a nonprofit, but um, it's open. Its membership is uh, is is freely available to uh, practitioners and executives and and so forth. And it's just a resource you can use to learn more um, about TBM. We do have a uh, what we call a TBM for cloud 
work group or what we call a strategy community. The idea behind that is let's talk about cloud's impact on TBM and how TBM uh, can address some issues there. How does it partner with FinOps and things like that? Um, you know, we've had uh, Ashley Hromatko from Pearson, you know, join and present and just it's been, you know, very welcome to our members to learn about, about FinOps. But I think uh, FinOps Foundation members should think of it as, hey, this is a great way for us to learn about uh, about TBM and just you know get from it what you uh, what what you want to get from it. So that's another thing. And if you want to yeah read a book, uh, there's a book right there. It's it's an orange book, uh, technology business management that I had the fortune of writing. Um, now mind you, it is uh, what what year are we in? <laughs> it's five years old. It's uh, you know, it's got a few years on it, but I think the principles there really sound. One of the things that um, it talks about and we talk about a lot in our community is we created a taxonomy. It's called the TBM taxonomy. And um, think of it as a uh, really a set of languages. It's got, you know, a financial language kind of at the bottom. It's got more of a tech language in the middle, and then it's got more of a business language at the top. We continue to evolve that, but the principle of that is that it helps with, you know, um, modeling costs and translating uh, between those different perspectives so that, that, you know, people can obviously make decisions and, and do their job, whether they're finance people or their tech people or their business people. So um, that's something that is uh, is worth a look, you know, look at um, JR and, uh, you, you know, they wrote about it and just kind of scratched the surface in the Cloud FinOps book. Um, but it's been adopted um, very, very broadly. And uh, it's in fact, it's a uh, standard mechanism in the U.S. federal government. It's required by uh, the Office of Management and Budget here when you're submitting a budget request for technology. They're required to, to put it in, in those terms. Um, so we've seen that. We've seen it more recently adopted by the U.K. energy sector. Um, you know, it's got, uh, it, it's got some legs. Um, but we're continuously looking at it and how that will evolve. But it's a good thing if you, you know, just kind of want to see what TBM is about. That's, that's a tool that can be very useful. And just another great tool to actually understand the people that you're going to be working with and how they think and how they view the problem. So that's excellent. So that is it for another episode of FinOps Fridays. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode or would like to learn more, please feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at aftio.com. Also like and subscribe to get updates for future episodes. 